Hi, my name is Isabella and I am the Intern Whisperer. And today's tip of the week is we're going to continue our discussion about educating your manager about inclusion. You want to conduct a comprehensive evaluation of your workplace. Look at how inclusive the work environment is. Are you considering all different types of individuals, whether it's non-gendered washrooms or accessibility to individuals in wheelchairs? Are you excluding people from projects based on different sexual orientation or because of some type of a handicap? For example, maybe you have somebody that's deaf on your team. Do you have a sign language interpreter participating in that meeting? You wanna make sure that you are keeping a culture that is inclusive and considering all different types of people. Welcome to the Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work, and it is one of my greatest. Um, I'm so excited to have this guest on the show, Amelia Hero. And I met her at a Boston event where we got to go out on a ship in the Boston Harbor. Um, she's just incredible. And I said, You have to be on my show. So, <laughs> welcome, Amelia, to the show. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. All right. So one of the things that we always kick off first is five words that would describe you before we go into how you got started in your career, where you went to school, all of that good stuff. So what are the five words that you would say describe you and why those five words? Well, I, so I have five, uh, I would always say determined, helpful, passionate, honest, and loyal. Um, Determined, I think, kind of goes, uh, you know, I'm somebody who hates failure. Um, I always make the analogy that I'm the type of person that if I didn't know how to swim and you threw me in a pool, I'd probably drown before I got out. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> for better or for worse, uh, I think it's like, it's almost a fear of quitting. And I, you know, so once I set my mind to do something, it's very, very hard for me to not do that thing. Uh, I like to say helpful. I think that goes into my career and how I'm where I am today. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in life is to help people, um, you know, whether that's just be a listening ear or solving a problem. I used to joke to friends growing up, um, you know, I'd love to be a professional problem solver. I don't think that's a career, but I like to think that I solve uh, business problems now. So maybe it is kind of passionate. Um, you know, it's definitely passion, something that it's hard for me. It's hard to do anything I don't love to do. So everything I do, I tend to love and have some sort of passion behind. Honest, it, honesty and loyalty, I think, are two things that kind of come with just being a Bostonian. I think a lot of people would kind of characterize the city in that way. Uh, you know, I've been told I'm too honest a lot of the times it's something I've had to work on my entire life is eh, maybe I shouldn't probably say that or there's probably a nicer way to say that just you know count to 10 and think about your words before they come out of your mouth um and loyal I think goes along with determined as well and that personality trait of just you know not quitting and really wanting to stick with something and I think it says a lot especially you know I'm in I'm in in some ways in a sales career and I think having, when you are in a position like that and your, your customers know you're loyal to your company and you're loyal to them, 
they like you, they want to stay, and that it's all about relationship building. And if I'm the type of person someone can pick up the phone and say, I need your help with X, Y, Z, and I can show up and help them, then that's the, you know, I think that's part of loyalty as well. Mm, I agree with that. And loyalty is something that you really don't see that much because people change careers so quickly. They move on very quickly, right? Yeah. And especially, you know, especially now, it used to be 30 years ago, you know, you get a job in the newspaper and you stick to that job for 30 years and that's your career. Um, But now I think with the rise of social media um, and how much easier it is to switch jobs and, you know, put your grievances out online. It's always greener on the other side. People are so quick to switch because they're like, you know, I, I don't, I want to, I want more money. So I'm just going to switch. And I, I made that mistake before in my past as well, where I said, I'm done with my role and I'm just going to take the first one that offers me more money. And, you know, I, I think long-term it put me in a position to put me to where I am today, but for a very, for probably about two years in that role, I was really unhappy. Damn, why did I do that? Um, but I, but I stayed for two years because I was loyal because I was half, I was, I felt like I owed the company something, Mm -hmm. even though I think, you know, looking back, I'm much happier now. And I'm much more loyal to the company that I'm at now, which is inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Loyalty is something I, you can't teach people that either. You know, you can teach people some of the other, you know, value words that you use to describe yourself you know, to be helpful, to be, you know, caring about others, to be determined to a certain extent, you can teach that honesty and loyalty. I just don't think that's easy to teach. Yeah. And you don't have it or you don't. And it's funny because I always thought it was something that most people had uh, until I actually left the Boston area and went to school and in college, I, you know, that's the great thing about leaving your hometown and going to college. I, you know, you meet all sorts of people, but the people that you also, you meet some great people, but you, life is life. Not everybody's great. Uh, and I definitely learned in college, like, wow, not everybody's going to kind of have your back. And I, I always thought, yeah, you know, if we have this kind of mutual, you know, mutual connection, whether it be school, whether it be our hometown, whether it be a sport, you think that, all right, well, you know, now we're loyal to each other for that reason. But I, I think that that's obviously just not the case for a lot of people. So something, <laughs> excuse me, something that you um, also just said in there kind of resonated with me again, is when you're talking about loyalty and you felt an obligation, almost an obligation to stay with the previous company, did you did you even think that you could go back and negotiate for something? Because like people don't always think to go and do that. Not like you wanted to. Yeah. Well, so that was actually part of the reason I had moved on from that company was, and I realized, you know, as I said, you realize not everybody's loyal. I realized they weren't loyal to me. I actually, uh, I had been there about a year. I had hit all my goals and I'd said, actually I've been there about a year and a half and I'd hit all the goals they set in front of me. I, you know, built, done everything they'd kind of set out for me to do when they had brought me on. I said, you know, you know, I know you're reevaluating my commission structure. If, if I'm going to be getting, having to do more work for my commission, I would love to be able to have a higher base salary. 
I think that's a fair trade-off. Oh yeah. And I was told, no, we don't give raises. Well, well, yeah, that would have been okay. Well, yeah. And yeah. And I said, okay, I just thought I'd ask. Uh, but that, I think that was the real turning point where I said, all right, uh, I think it's time for me to really start reevaluating. And I had already kind of thought through it a little bit as well, just because I was always in tech sales. And throughout the pandemic, I think the pandemic changed a lot of people. A lot of people decided to switch career paths. And I really did some self-reflection and I thought, I just, tech is cool, but it's not, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the technology I'd sold, I was like, I really kind of feel like this is taking someone's job away. I don't know if this is really helping people, you know, it might make a company better, but I don't think it necessarily makes the world better. And that was kind of, you know, and I felt like that was kind of the reason why I also wasn't super happy in those roles was because I was, I didn't feel like I was contributing anything to make the world a better place. Mm. You know, what's interesting. I just Googled a little statistic here. The average person they're saying now will have 12 jobs during their lifetime, seven careers, but 12 jobs. Yep. I believe that. Yeah. And you choose them for different reasons. Just like you said, you know, it can be money. It can be promotion. It can be a lifestyle change that you've experienced, which is what we saw with the pandemic where everybody's going, no, this isn't how I want to live. Yeah. And we're seeing that now um, where people, companies are saying, okay, you know, pandemic's over time to come back to the office. And people are saying, oh no, no, I like my remote work. I don't want to work in an office. And we're seeing that turnover um, where people are saying, if you're making me come in, I'm looking for a new job. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think companies are, I, we always, I really, I truly think a hybrid environment is here to stay. I don't think any I, company, I don't think a, any company is going to turn around and say, yeah, uh, you have to come back into the office or you're getting let go unless it's a role where you physically need to be in the office every day, but yeah, like healthcare, obviously emergency services. Yeah, exactly. And people love the flexibility of being at home. I personally do. I like being able to say, I don't have any meetings till 10. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to get all dressed up because I have to present in front of people. I can just put on a nice shirt and put on a little makeup and be be presentable on zoom but also in between my meetings, I can go throw my laundry in or I can actually cook my lunch, which I love doing. I think that was one of my favorite things about working from mm-hmm. home during the pandemic was not having the stress of what you're, it's like 7.30 in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And you're like, what do I want for lunch so I can pack it? Like oh. that, my brain does not work that way. It's like, I'll just go later. I'll just eat something later. <laughs> Interesting question then. Did you find that you were saving money because you no longer maybe ate out? Did you find that you were maybe gaining weight because food was so accessible? I actually lost weight during the pandemic. Uh, I was one of those people who said, I have a lunch break. I'm going to go for a walk. And, or I can, since I'm at home, I can make sure I have healthy ingredients and I can make myself, you know, some stir fry veggies or a salad. Whereas, so yes, I was 100% saving money because I wasn't going out to lunch, but two, you know, 
I don't care how healthy you think a salad is when you go to whatever restaurant you go to to get the salad. It is there. There's so much more salt, fats, whatever in it to make it taste like it does at the restaurant. And also they give you giant portions. So, you know, you kind of, and I'm not somebody who eats to eat. Like I'm somebody who eats because it's something I need to do to survive. <laughs> like my body, my body will be like, okay, please eat because we're tired and we have a headache. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very, very true. I noticed that um, it did change how I was eating. Definitely. Yeah. Um, because the ability to go for a walk, that's, that was everything because you can't, you can't always do that easily in an office because you come back, you're maybe a little sweaty, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, even the calls that I had, I never had to be on zoom like or like on camera. So that meant I could go for a run at, if I had a nine o'clock meeting, I could go for a run at eight o'clock, get home at eight 45, catch my breath and jump on a zoom. And nobody knew that I was sweaty and gross because mm-hmm. I wasn't on camera. Yeah. Uh, you might've had a lot of flushed color in your face, right? Yes. But you know, now I don't have to do that. I, mm-hmm. uh, well, now I actually, every call that I do, I'm actually on camera. Uh, and I, I think it adds, especially, so my role before pre-pandemic was completely face-to-face. And the pandemic has really changed outside sales and outside consultant roles because now nobody wants to, like, if I have a 30-minute meeting with you, I don't want to drive an hour and they don't want me to drive an hour. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think be more productive because you're actually putting in more calls. Yeah. And, you know, I'm answering more emails because I'm not spending two hours in the car driving to and from to see a customer. It's especially a lot of these meetings. You know, I, I love the idea of face-to-face meetings and I think they are very valuable, but I also think that not every meeting has to be face-to-face Mm-mm. and that's really what the pandemic has taught, taught us. Uh, you know, even personally on my team here at Insperity, we per- we work from home on our days where we do trainings because it's so much more productive to do a training over Zoom when it's only, you know, an hour long or so. Because if you're sitting in a room, somebody's presenting, I'm blind, half my coworkers are blind because, you know, we've sat and looked at computers for the last 10 years. Uh, so looking up at a big screen, it's a little bit more difficult. And someone's always like, what's that say? And it's way easier just to share your screen. You have that same round table type feel where everybody's participating, especially if you're all on camera and you have that same view where, you know, it's, you're all in a room together in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where did you go to school? And you, you talked about a little bit of one of the jobs that you had, it's really unusual for people to choose a career path in sales. So I love the fact that you did, and you're also in it and in a tech industry. So I'm going to throw several questions at you. How did you, where did you go to school? How did, what was that major? How did you choose to go into sales? And then let's just throw one more thing on top of it, specifically even in tech. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting question as well as interesting story. So I started my career, or started, I guess, I went to college, I went to school at St. Lawrence University in upstate New York. That's a really small liberal arts school. 
And I said, when I went to school, I'm going to be pre-law, I'm going to go to law school, and I'm going to be a lobbyist. That was like what I was set on doing. Um, kind of background, I'm big into politics. I am somebody who nerds out. I try to read, understand everything about it. Um, just because I think, you know, ultimately politics does influence a lot of our lives. And I like to understand what's going on and be able to put context around that. So going off of that, I was, and especially things you want to change. I was like, well, lawyers are, you know, I love talking. I love arguing. When you're a lobbyist, those are the people on the front lines really making changes. Um, and then throughout college, I worked as what's called a canvasser. So I worked for a nonprofit organization where I went door to door for four summers. I knocked, I went to every town in Eastern Massachusetts. I knocked on their doors, told them about the bees, told them about the water, told them about, you know, every summer it was a different campaign. It was plastic bags. It was save the bees. It was protect our rivers, protect our turtles, et cetera. Um, and, you know, through that, I was really good at it. And I think that's where the passion came in because one of the, I truly, I'm, I like to tell people I'm a little bit of a hippie in the sense that I just love the outdoors. Uh, and I think if people spent more time worrying about what we were doing to our planet, then, uh, there might be a lot less problems in the world. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, you know, so that was how I got my kind of start in sales. It was because I, I was like, hey, if I can knock on some mansion and I would have people come out and be like, I hate the environment. I love oil off, off shore drilling is the best thing that's ever happened. No way. And I, oh, it was there. The fracking's awesome. Like anything that's like any sort of environmentalist is like, they would say all those things and be like, yep, well, here's the answer to that. Yep. Here's the answer to that. And then I'd walk away with a contribution from them. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's so funny that you bring this up because people don't really, I know that when I talk with, um, I was an English teacher, so English major. And so whenever I talk with anybody and they're going, oh no, I can't do sales. I said, how did you get your first boyfriend or girlfriend? How did you get your first job? So what you were doing anybody in fundraising, it is sales. Yeah. It is different because it's tied to like what you were saying, something that you're passionate about. Uh, yeah. I was selling politics and the environment. Like oh, truly man. that's what it was. <laughs> uh, and so I, don't I think-, think it was politics. I don't think so. I think that you, if you were able to flip somebody that was thinking that, oh yes, oil drinking, you know, oil Oh, uh, well, I didn't really, I mostly, I didn't change their mind. They just more, I earned their respect. And they said, here's oh. some college kid who is willing to show up at my house at 730 at night it, with a backpack, t-shirt and shorts on and, you know, argue with me in my multi-million dollar home about the environment. Like that takes guts. I'm going to give her a couple dollars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you're right. It does take guts. It does. Yeah. And so, and I really had a passion for, I truly felt like what I was doing in that regards, just raising awareness about different issues that were going on because there were people who were like, wow, I had no idea that that was going on. I'm like literally 90% of what the purpose of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and so graduating college, I said, I don't want to go to law school because truthfully, I like reading, but I don't want a career in reading. And a lot of anything that's legal, politics, et cetera, there is so much reading involved. And it's just, you know, it, it gets time consuming and it kind of fries your brain. Uh, and so I just said, how about sales? And I, I did take a little hiatus. I actually went and I lived on a farm for eight months in Colorado where I was, I did my, so I actually majored in philosophy and Spanish, which is a very random combination. Uh, but I did my little, you know, I guess journey as a philosopher while I just lived on a farm and took care of animals. And I finally said, you know, maybe it's time to go get a job. Um, I can't live off the land like this forever. As much as I love it, I do miss my family. I do miss my friends and being, and I hate being landlocked. That was honestly a big thing too. I'm a, I'm a water person. I need the water. Uh, and so I moved back and actually a friend of mine who I had been, I had gone door to door with over the summers in my college job, uh, reached out and said, Hey, my company's hiring. And I said, cool, I'm looking for a job. And you know, I liked the company. I thought it was a cool idea. And so I said, yeah, sure, let's go. Let's do it. Uh, and, you know, when you're first out of college, I think most people are kind of sure, let's do it. They offer me a job. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really know who, who they are, what they want to do. You took the time to figure some of that out, which is super helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, I probably could have figured more of it out. Um, but also life keeps moving. Yeah. And so that company was a very, very interesting company because it was outsourced sales. So you had contracts that were three, five, six, 18 months. Uh, so in the course of two and a half years, I sold four or five different products and they were all technology-based products. So it gave me a really phenomenal foundation where I can understand kind of the high level of a lot of technology and the way it works. Uh, and, you know, I also had to get a little bit of a thicker skin as well, because I was, you know, when I was hired there on my half of the office, I was the only woman. Oh, wow. And they hired two girls to be on my team. They both left within two months of me being hired. And so it, the company was about, I think 10% was a generous number, but that was roughly where it was um, for the percentage of women to male ratio. Uh, and, you know, they hired a lot of new kids right out of college. So you can imagine being a new girl who's 20 something years old, sitting on a sales floor with a bunch of new college grads who were all in like frats and played football. <laughs> it, was, yeah. uh, it was a cultural shock uh, to say the least but I, I think it made me stronger it made me a little bit more personal too because I was able you know just understanding a sales floor is a big part in your success as well and being comfortable and you know being able to kind of be on your feet and talk back and and kind of fit in in that kind of realm is something that I personally think a lot of women there's a lot of turnover in sales with women because you know it for so long, it was truly a man's career. Mm. Um, and women would walk in, like we, this happened at the company, women would walk in and they would look around the office and never, and say, yeah, I don't want this job. There's no girls. Mm -hmm. 
And so it was really hard for that company for a very long time to hire any sort of woman because (laughs) most women don't want to work with a bunch of 23 to 25 year old men Mm -hmm. and sit at a table with them for eight hours a day. Um, So, you know, they changed a few of their recruiting policies and they started actually what they would do is have anytime they had a female candidate or interview, they would actually have some of the more tenured girls go and have a conversation with them as well as part of the interview process, just to feel like we do have girls. Um, and it did help. It really did help. So I think yeah. when I left, it was, oh, they were starting to really, really get more women um, and really start to actually put women in management roles too. And because, you know, I think that was a big thing was it was hard for them. They're like, we want women in management roles, but we can't get a woman to stay past six months. So how are we going to get them in a management role? Mm -hmm. And just really doing a lot of work to build that kind of inclusive culture. And, you know, I think that was a big portion and, you know, they've done now they, they have a much higher percentage. It's still sales. It's still going to be uneven, but it's much better. So what is Insperity? What do they do? Yes. So Insperity is where I am today. Um, And we are at the highest level um, HR that makes a difference. I think that might be a little corny to say that is our logo. Um, Mm -hmm. but we really, and I hate just kind of simmering us down to an outsourced HR platform because we're more than that. Uh, we are the creators of the PEO model. So I love telling the story. It's our founder, uh, CEO today, Paul Cervati. He was a small business owner himself. And he came to the realization that a lot of business owners come to, which is, it's just really hard to run a business. Mm-hmm. And especially as you start to grow, you have all of these people, things that come up and everything, you know, HR related. And it's so funny because I think there are so many people that say to me, well, what, do, what does HR actually do? I'm like they do everything that you don't see. Recruiting benefits, time and attendance, performance management, training and development, everything that's related to an employee falls under the HR umbrella. And I think people, you know, HR is so used to operating in the background a lot of the times that people forget that. So they start a business and all of a sudden, you know, they do something that's not compliant and they get themselves in trouble. And they're like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, or the law changes and they have to stay on top of it. And pretty soon as your company starts to grow, it becomes a full-time job. So Insperity said, how about we just make it easier for companies and we'll do all of it for them. And that's where the PEO or what we call our co-employment model come, come or oops, wow. Uh, that's where our PEO model came into existence. And so what we do is we really meet companies where they're at today with HR. And it's a very customized approach. So there is a platform, there is a technology that kind of sits at the center of everything. But paired with that is a service team. So, you know, I came, I always make the joke, I came from a SaaS background. So everybody knows what SaaS is, it's SaaS mm-hmm. um, software with, as a service. What I say with Insperity is, is, is we are software with a service and we're very, very focused on the service aspect. So all of our customers get a dedicated service team 
uh, where we can, they can utilize them as little or as much as they want to do anything pretty administrative, but also partner with us to really bounce ideas so they, that they can become more strategic. So anything from, we're having issues uh, recruiting females, how do we do that? Or we're having trouble retaining talent, what's going on? And really having kind of this experts that they can call uh, Amy Flynn, who is gonna be on your podcast in a little bit, um, our DEI specialist and, there's, and say, hey, like we're having this issue, how do we solve it? Um, and just having people who have the experience um, and the knowledge to really guide them through a lot of these really complex situations that come up naturally as an employer. I like that a lot. Now tell me, um, because I didn't know uh, that you guys also were in that training space. So do you all offer workshops? Is that what you mean by training? Yeah, so we partnered with Skillsoft. And so we have all of our customers get a dedicated performance management specialist as well, um, as well as training and development. They kind of are paired in the same role. I guess, depending on how large your company is, but we have self-paced courses that come as part of our platform, uh, depending on the solution you have. Uh, there's anywhere from 2000 to up to 5,000 self-paced courses. I think there's up to a hundred thousand different like eBooks, just learning resources. So companies have the ability to then go in and build their own training resources uh, so that they can, you know, if, if they need a new manager, there's management classes, there's Six Sigma classes, there's even forklift training classes. There's literally everything in there. Wow. And they can work with our specialists too to say, hey, listen, uh, we didn't find the course we want. Is there a way to, for you to come in and do this type of training in person? And we'll work with our customers in that regards as well. Mm. That's quite a bit. So do you, um, do you, have you ever met your CEO? I have not actually, um, you know, it's hard to, when I've only been at Insperity for about a year and a half and he is in Texas and I'm in Boston. So, and I've only been to Texas once and it was for bulk or sales convention at the beginning of in January. And, you know, when you're hosting a conference <laughs> You're not going to have time to walk around and shake every new employee's hand. Uh, but everybody who's met him says wonderful things about him. And I did send you his book as well, the Take yeah. Care of Your People. Yeah. And that was on the Forbes list too. Yes. Kind of a big deal. Kind of, just a little. <laughs> so with all of this great stuff that um, Insperity does, and you know, when I met you, I was going, <gasps> Well, my company is in the HR space also, and it's in that training and learning space, uh, skill development and, and all of these other things. It's um, culture, understanding how people learn. I really went, I don't know if you remember this, but I'll go ahead and say it. It said, oh, you're like one of the best HR yes. companies there. So it was like going, oh, I'm so happy I got to meet you. I was very excited. I'm yeah, saying I'm so happy. And I love, I think that's one of my favorite things about working at Insperity is every time I meet someone who actually knows what Insperity does and has experience with them, 
they have the same reaction you do. I love insperity. I used insperity and it was wonderful. Here's my phenomenal story about how insperity changed X, Y, Z about my life or my company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really have, and you know, I was so skeptical about insperity when I first came on just because I think I'm naturally a little bit skeptical of any company who's, you know, when something's too good to be true, it probably is, right? Mm-hmm. And every, all the research I did about disparity, I was like, this is too good to be true. There's no way there's a company that is this awesome. And I was like on the deep, dark corners of every sort of website trying to find, you know, what's so bad, what's bad about this place. Mm-hmm. And I truly couldn't find anything. It was kind of crazy. You know, well, that's I, a good thing. It's kind of like HubSpot It's really hard to find. Uh, things. Yes. And HubSpot is another company I I drink their Kool-Aid and I like what they do. So I find it to be a good partner. Um, All right. So we're going to switch the conversation around. One of the things that came up when we talked is that you have a horse. Yes. And I I love the fact that you had this horse. So I wanted to know more about the horse. We talked about all of the things that the intuitiveness of a horse, the intelligence of a horse, but what is it that you love about your horse and that you want to share and why people should consider them to be truly intelligent animals? Um, well, I think a horse will teach you their teach you how intelligent you are uh, or they are every minute of every day. Um, especially my horse, she's. Um, I like to say I actually told my old coach. I said she's almost too smart, and she goes smarter than her owner. And I go maybe, and she goes that's dangerous. <laughs> ah, yeah, that is. Um, but I think, you know, horses teach us determination and they also teach us how to care for a different animal in a different way. And they're different than, you know, a, a cat or a dog or any other sort of other pet you might have because one, they take a heck of a lot more time, but also, you know, your emotions truly do impact them. Um, there's been a Facebook post that's been circling around about the research behind how a heart, a horse's heart will sync up with its rider's heart. So they can feel when you're anxious, they can feel when you're angry. Um, that's why they're used so often with their, in therapy as well. Um, I worked at an equine, or I volunteered at an equine assisted therapy place in college, and then also worked uh, or volunteered after college at a equine or at a therapeutic riding center. So little, little difference in those two fields. Um, but seeing just the healing nature of how horses can make an impact on someone's life is truly phenomenal. Um, and it's something that gives me goosebumps when I see it, you know, seeing a kid who is too afraid to even step away from their parent and then they put them on the horse and the kids chatting, like they have forgotten what the parent is Mm -hmm. and seeing that kind of progression from a child is really cool, especially when you see them from you know, really not being able to even formulate words if they're not holding on to their parents to then, you know, seeing a horse and saying, see you later and just running away from them. And I see kids at the farm I'm at now with my horse where I'm like, I did not have that level of just maturity at the age of eight. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you see this kid, they can take care of this animal that's 10 times their size. Mm -hmm. And so it also teaches a level of fearlessness, I think, as well. 
Yeah, because they're so big. It's not like yes. taking care of a cat or a dog. They're so big. <laughs> Just massive in size. Mm -hmm. um, what is a favorite quote that you live by that helps keep you focused? Yes. Um, I So I actually found this quote when my grandma passed away of probably about six years ago now. But I found it not only to be inspirational when you lose someone, but I find it very true for life too. It's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, and it is the secret to life, or oops, sorry. It's the secret of the world is that all things subsist do not and do not die, but retire a, a little from sight at, and afterwards return again. And I think that can apply to so many different things in life. Uh, you know, in sales, we always say it's not no now. It's it's only no for now. We'll be back. Uh, and especially at Insperity, we talk about it where, you know, the first time around, most people say no. Sometimes they say no the second time. The third time, though, they generally say yes. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I think it's a good way to live your life. You know, it's something, you know, things come back around you, even when something is not in existence, you still think about them, you still see them. And I think it's just a good way to really think about life and understand how everything is kind of interconnected. Mm -hmm. I agree. What is the hardest lesson that you had to learn that actually helped change your life? Hmm. That one's a hard one. Um, I think learning to communicate, uh, especially in remaining in control of your emotions, even in the hardest times. Um, I think a lot of issues would, in the world would no longer be issues if they were able, if you were able to just communicate correctly. Because a lot of people I think struggle with communicating their feelings. So instead they act out. Um, we see that in children a lot. It's, you know, the baby's crying, well, it's hungry. And as we get to adults, we learn, all right, I'm hungry, I should eat instead of just wailing like a, like a baby. Uh, but I think that applies to a lot of things in life as well. Yeah. What is one skill that you believe everyone should focus on that brings others value? I think that goes right back to communication. I agree. <laughs> I'm looking yes. to your answer. <laughs> Yes, communication. Um, it's everything. It really is. And, you know, if everybody knew how to communicate correctly and also understood each other's communication styles, that's a big thing. When we talk about HR and personalities is everybody has a different personality. Everybody has a different way they like to be communicated with. And so not only understanding how you can communicate with people, but how other people like to be communicated with. And I guess that goes into social intelligence, uh, our emotional intelligence, as well as social understanding uh, and empathy is understanding, all right, this person really doesn't like to be communicated with in this way. I need to get a, you know, I need to get a point across. So how am I going to do that? So it doesn't cause an argument and we can walk away after having a wonderful conversation. So adding on to that, part of how people like to communicate comes a large part from whatever generation they are born into and whatever the technology is that was being used. So, yeah. you know, whenever phones came into existence in the 80s, you know, that could have been, you know, Gen X, uh, as well as 
Gen Y, um, you know, millennials. But as each one of these pieces of technology advances, it actually, that's where texting became more valuable valuable because people were texting so much they prefer to text instead of picking up the phone and call yeah. now but it's it, on social media and it even goes a step further and just the words you use yes um so we use a lot of it and it, it, i'm a huge proponent of it when i used to manage a sales team uh, my first management role they put me onto a team that was struggling very badly. And we did these things called disc assessments, which is like almost a mini Myers-Briggs test. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, and the first thing I said is, give me their disc assessments because I'm gonna understand why they're struggling. And you know, some people, there are some people who you just need to say, you suck, mm -hmm. <laughs> that simple. And they will go, oh, oh my God. And they'll go and do what they need to do. But there's other people who you need to kind of do what I call the, you know. The, a gentle approach. <laughs> or it's the like compliment sandwich. So you did X, Y, Z well. I think you could improve on this, but you also really did this well. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, because some people, if you just kind of lay into them, it's going to hurt their confidence. Whereas other people, they really, they almost need that fuel under them to get them to the next level. Yeah. And that's that introverted and extroverted type of personalities of how they process information and how they communicate. But there's so many other variables in there. Um, who in your life has had the biggest impact for you? I think my mom, to be honest. Um, I lost her at a young age, but I think I try to live every day like her. Uh, and she was somebody who just everybody just loved her. She was easygoing. She always knew the right thing to say. She always tried to take a high, the high road and always just tried to be a good person. And I think that's something I live by as well is I think, you know, one of the things I pride myself in is I think I'm a good person. Uh, and I always try to be a good person. And I always try to do the right thing. Uh, and I, you know, I think that's a big part of who I am. Uh, and just, you know, going out of your way to be nice to someone every once in a while, it doesn't hurt. And I just think it makes the world a little bit of a better place. And I think she really did that. And she did it in a way where, you know, she went through hell when she was towards the end of her life. And nobody would ever know because she was very prideful in the fact that she wanted to never let her problems affect other people. Um, and she was a very proud person in that sense. And I think I inherited a lot of that as well. Like I'm somebody who doesn't really like to ask for help, but will when I need it. Um, and just trying to, you know, stay cool, calm and collected no matter what, which I know is hard for a lot of people. And I definitely am not perfect at it, but I try to live up to it every day. Mm, that's really good. We're going to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and then we'll be back to the second half of the show. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And so welcome back to the show. When the second half, we're going to be talking about the future of work in 2030. What does that look like? I don't know. What do you think it's going to look like, Amelia? 
Well, I guess it's not that far away when you think about it. It's not even 10 years away, which is crazy. Um, I definitely see more companies going to a more remote uh, work style. You know, right now there's this, we saw how remote work could be viable during the pandemic. And there's been a big push for companies to kind of get back, but a lot of pushback from employees. I know a lot of companies or a lot of employees have actually left companies that forced them to go back to the office. And so, and on top of that, you know, I think there's the introverts and the extroverts. Extroverts love being in the office. So I don't think there's ever going to be a time where people aren't in the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, But introverts really love staying at home. And so I think it's going to be very industry specific. And a lot of companies are going to do this kind of remote work style where they almost, you almost get to choose and say, you know, these are the days I'm going to be in the office or, and it'll be industry based as well, because, you know, there's some, there's some positions where you really do need to be in the office talking to people at least once a week. Whereas there's other positions that are very much kind of on your own time, on your own space. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of companies, mid-sized companies, honestly, uh, 300 to me, they're mid-sized, but I know they're technically still small if they're under 500 employees, but they, one of their requirements is everybody has to come in no matter what. Um, they do give them flexibility as to the days, just like what you were yeah. saying. And I feel like that is genuinely good. And part of their reason is they, um, and it's, to me, it's true. It does demonstrate a stronger um, culture, you know, company culture, because you're, you're connecting with people more frequently than through a video call. The more of your senses that you engage, meaning that you can see somebody, and then you also are talking with them, the more of a connection there is. And then even when you're in the office with the ability to either hug somebody or just, you know, shake hands or fist bump or whatever, again, there's that sense of touch. So there's this element and especially being able to eat together. Those things always seem to drive a stronger company culture. And I believe, honestly, companies can make a good argument for that as to why they would want people. Now that's going to be a choice in that hiring process if that is what people want. And there will be, again, I agree with you, a division as to preferences. Yeah. Well, and I think also when we look at the economy and we look at real estate as well, having this kind of hybrid environment, companies are going to be able to have smaller office spaces, which is if you know anything about uh, corporate real or commercial real estate, it is a huge investment for companies. And if they can say, hey, we're only ever going to have half of the amount of office because people in, in that we used to. They're going to be able to have a smaller office space and they're going to be able to reinvest those funds elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And that could be some type of benefits that they give employees, you know, where it's definitely covering like um, fitness and mental health. Yes. Mental health has been a huge, um, huge driver for companies over the last two years. And we're seeing more and more companies implement EAP programs, different employee wellness programs, just so that they, you know, if your employees aren't feeling their best, they're not going to give you their best. Mm -hmm. It's almost that simple. Yeah, I agree. Um, With the advancements that have been in AI, 
you know, the meta center, the metaverse, Orlando, just so you know, is now um, branding itself as the meta center. So that's why that word actually came <laughs> yeah. up. And just for a point of reference for listeners and also yourself is people underestimate what is available in Orlando. There is so much. We have phototonics. We, of course, have NASA. Um, we have the biggest AI VR um, simulation conference always at the end of the year that's geared towards education, um, health, and also defense sectors. And I think I left one of them out. Um, there's just this huge amount of technology that is here. And we actually got number one as uh, one of the most desirable locations to live in now. Orlando. Wow. Yeah. Well, because we have almost like a year round climate, you know, we don't have. Yes, yeah. Yeah. that is true. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're now um, the city, <laughs> I'm going to say, and the, maybe the county um, has put this on as uh, the meta center. And I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that, to be honest. That was just a sidestep. But getting back to the uh, actual question is robots, AI, augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, what advancements do you think are going to be in that HR space? Because honestly, I've been watching this Black Mirror series that's on Netflix, and it's not okay. the movie. It's actually a series of little short vignettes. Um, if you know these uh, series, it's it's kind of like the Twilight Zone, or there was another one that was um, little short stories of <laughs> Stephen, um, ooh, the one that wrote The Shining, Stephen Killer. King. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Super mm -hmm. scary stories. But um, anyway, while watching this series, I went, wow, they raise a lot of ethical questions, too, in the use of AI, VR. And how do we incorporate that into HR? Because there's ethical dilemmas for sure. So go anywhere you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So AI is an interesting tool. And I think it's there. It's very far away from replacing humans uh, by any means. Uh, but it's also interesting talking to different people about AI. So they are coming out with different types of AI for sales. So, you know, collecting data, listening to different conversations. Oh, if this person responds in this way, you should respond in one of these three ways to get the best outcome. I, I can definitely see that kind of coming into play for HR as well, uh, having some sort of AI where, you know, it can co help coach HR professionals in, especially a new professional who's not necessarily super familiar with law or still really kind of getting up to speed uh, on how to approach certain situations and having that ability to say, my employee said this, and then the HR AI coming back and saying, here's three ways to kind of approach it. Mm -hmm. That being said, I find it interesting because uh, a friend of mine was telling about this, telling me about the sales AI. She just got a job there. And I said, oh, so it's kind of like replacing salespeople by automating it. And she was like, no, it's just helping you because you still have to make a decision. I go, well, if they develop it well enough, doesn't that mean that the Autobot can just have that conversation without the human making the decision? And so it was just, it was, it's interesting just seeing, I think there's going to be people who are very opposed to it as well. And other people who are going 
to really embrace it. And it's all going to be about um, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, which was the communication um, styles. Because I think there's some people who really, really dislike the kind of robotic nature that sometimes can come out of uh, saying the most appropriate thing as an HR person. But mm -hmm. there's the other side where people, um, you know, they appreciate it because they kind of know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the, the ethical dilemmas that I've seen is um, I know that we use a lot, a lot of products and you use the word listening. And we know that our phones can hear what it is that we're saying. And then we get ads in our feeds. And um, even with my CRM, which this is no secret, uh, HubSpot, it, they have the ability to listen to conversations. You can record them. And then all of these conversations, whether it's chat or if it's email or if it's phone calls, whatever, are creating that profile and building it up even um, more, uh, a, a very specific profile for different customers and different individuals. And yeah. I can see that all of that information is also being used in HR, right? So we're being able to determine, did we make good decisions with our hiring practices, right? Yeah, and that's one thing I think AI can definitely bring in is the um, kind of data analytics side of things, mm -hmm. uh, understanding, you know, when you're talking about company culture, what does company culture mean? And, you know, I think exit interviews for employees is one of the most important things a company can do, especially if they're experiencing high turnover, mm -hmm. uh, because nobody's going to be the most honest um, ex that a, a person who's leaving the company, because ultimately they have nothing to lose. They're like, I'm already leaving. I don't, I can speak my mind and you know, there's some level of professional still there because you don't want to burn bridges. But if you're truly unhappy and you didn't want to voice it before, you're going to at least say a little bit of oh, yeah. the reasoning behind kind of what's going on. And, you know, having those, that data analytics, that kind of AI to process, okay, you know, who trained these people mm -hmm. uh, into their roles? Uh, how long did they last? And kind of taking all of these different data points that all kind of go into the life cycle of an employee and putting them into some sort of data migration where you can really understand at on a deeper level, the employee engagement, as well as the employee life cycle. You know, if we hire, for example, college graduates always um, are hired kind of, a lot of college people, they, they graduate college and then in May, they start their new job or June, they start their new job. Others say, I want to take the summer off. I want to enjoy myself. They start their jobs in September and they kind of, they use that time to kind of just enjoy themselves. And I'm sure there's some sort of data out there that there's a difference between how those two people perform. Mm -hmm. And that also would go into their personality types. And I know my first position in like a real sales career, um, they did the disc assessments, which I talked about earlier as well. And they were starting to use it in a way that said, well, which disc profiles are the most successful? Mm -hmm. Where do we see the most success? And that's really important as, as well. And I think that's why more companies are even doing these personality tests before they hire employees as well. Because, you know, if they know they're hiring for a manager that manages a certain way and this, this person they're interviewing 
comes back with their personality type that, hey, these two people probably are going to butt heads or their communication styles aren't in sync, then that could have an impact on the decision, especially if there's two candidates at the end and one is a perfect fit culturally as well as personality type and the other is, might be a little bit harder. And, you know, that's why hiring is such a such a risk because, you know, you never really know what you're, you're going to get. There's some level, but not, you're never going to get a 100% accurate representation. So being able to find all of this other data and using AI to kind of translate that data for you to be able to say, yeah, this is the best candidate is going to be really interesting uh, development. I think we see in the next I don't know. Eight, I agree. Maybe 10 years. Yeah, I think that one's just right around the corner, honestly, um, because I've seen I mean, that's that's part of what I do inside of my platform is yeah. that same type of way that we can recruit. But I also believe that it's going to be more geared um, since we're measuring everything. Everything is outcome based with our social content, with um, how we can take something speed to market, all of those different variables. Those are like projects. At some point, we're going to be switching it over, and I think it's going to happen relatively soon, probably in a couple of years, where we see that um, employees will have to have outcomes, meeting, you know, whether it's weekly goals, monthly goals, not just in sales, but in every aspect of their yeah. performance. So looking at that as the as what I think is the, the future of that, that means that this quiet quitting concept where people are going, well, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to do what I'm being asked to per my job description. There's not that um, discretionary effort. Even more than that, there's just not that passion. Maybe yeah. it's not the, um, the same kind of drive. Those can be indicators as to um, in somebody's new types of evaluations, if you will. So we can see yeah. so you've been maintaining the, the basic average of what the job requires, but we're actually looking for, you know, more than that. So job descriptions will change. We'll be measuring skills rather than just tasks that produce yeah. an outcome. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, that's a lot of what we talk about in Sparity, or at least I do when I'm talking to potential customers is, you know, how often are you actually giving performance reviews? Mm-hmm. because be in real time yeah because it, on average I would say most people I talk to say once a year and Can you imagine the, that's just like yeah. <laughs> it, and I'm telling you and I tell people you need to give them more because one of the biggest reasons I left two positions was because I could not get feedback for the life of me I had mm-hmm. to I, and in fact my last position I was I learned that if I wanted feedback, I would do a presentation. I would go to my boss and say, hey, I think I did these three things wrong. What do you think? Uh, Because otherwise it was great job. You're doing awesome. And like, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And if you're telling me I haven't done anything wrong or there's nothing to improve, then I'm just standing here stagnant. And on top of that, you know, when we talk about performance reviews, site you know, in psychology and you bring in that, people really don't remember past 90 days. Um, And so if you're doing a review once a year, you're losing three quarters worth of feedback. And when we talk about HR at its center, 
And what it is, is, you know, so many companies think of it as a cost center because there's benefits, there's salaries, there's all this expensive stuff that goes into actually having an employee. They don't measure the other side. Exactly. Exactly. And so we talk about it at Insperity all the time is, you know, HR is actually your biggest uh, revenue generator because your people are your greatest asset. If you don't have good people doing the right jobs in the right places at the right time, your company is a mess. And that's, mm-hmm. and, and performance reviews are the easiest way to kind of keep people on track saying, hey, you're doing really well, but you know, if you want your, this promotion next year, these are kind of the things that you're going to need to do to work on and just being honest and giving that constant feedback. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're not doing your job. It's, Hey, we just see you're kind of showing up and going through the motions. Do you really want to be here? Um, And that's when we talk about discretionary effort, when an employee really believes in the company and they go above and beyond because they want to, and they believe in the company and they believe the company gives them something back in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, again, it's going to go back to that human factor because yeah. the company isn't the one that rewards them. It's people that do that. Right. And yeah. I know you're using the word company as a, you know, catch-all for sure. Yes. Um, I'm understanding that I'm just clarifying it. So our audience knows that that's what you're, you're talking about too. So people, if it's people that are actually giving you those either increases in money, a promotion, um, more flexible flexibility with your schedule, whatever. If it's coming from people, it has to be tied to something that is an outcome, measurable outcomes. And then it can end up, what if it ends up being like a daily um, hit? Well, you hit your goals today um, that we gave you, you know, similar to scrum, similar to things that we see in development, right? And game development. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk around people just don't want to work. And I I think that that's not true. I think it's people don't want to work for the wrong people in the right companies and the right jobs. And so when you find, and that's part of just, you know, being honest with employees and really finding what drives them, because that's how you really get them to say, I love my job. I love working here. I mean, there's that old saying that if you fi- if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. But at the same time, I think I've never really met someone who doesn't have any competitive nature. And it's just finding what that competitive nature is in them to want that, to make them want to be better every day. Uh, I, I don't believe people operate in complacency. I believe that they get comfortable in complacency and yes. that just becomes the easier that's the easier route and finding kind of that, that why, what, why are they here? What are they doing? Why do they want to be in this role? And, you know, maybe some, some people need to go and have some self-reflections. Um, we, you know, I lived on a farm for six, eight months and I had that time to kind of reflect and say, what do I really want to do with my life? Um, and, you know, I know that I'm very, very privileged to have had that opportunity, but there's other ways that companies I think can kind of address that and push employees to get to that point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it always goes back to that connection. And, and I feel like it's still going to end up being that there will be a time when people will be said, told, yeah, you have to come back to the office. And this is why, because the research has been able to show that there's better productivity, there's 
there's better self um, worth, you know, because you're connecting with more people. Um, if you're always having to connect with your customers, but not with the rest of your team, I feel like that's part of what, what maybe makes you better. Connect is maybe. And I think, and connecting with your peers, I think you end up making yourself better. You know, if you're both in two type, if you're both in an engineering role, for example, and you, you know, someone might have a problem and you say, I'm just going to go solve it on my own. But if you're forced to kind of have a conversation with someone else being like, hey, I got really stuck on this the other day. And this is how I kind of solved it. Someone else could say, oh, here's an easier way to do that. And, you know, that kind of peer to peer collaboration is a really easy way to just make people better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and with, without trading and development too, it's just a natural flow of things. So I think we talked about robots, but it was offline. It was before we started our yeah. our interview, and I was asking you about robots in uh, Boston because here in in Kissimmee, there's a restaurant that has robots that bring you your food. Um, yeah, kind of like a little box looking thing. And it, you know, brings it to you, the Pizza Hut, and maybe it's not Pizza Hut. It might be Domino's, but there's like a Domino's box and, you know, here's your pizza. Um, I think that I've also had students uh, that were interning with me and in California, they've seen them in state parks bringing food. Again, maybe that's the easiest way to use robots, <laughs> but I feel like they're coming and we already have seen automated cars, um, self-driving cars, if you will. And they're even here in Orlando, we have a self-driving um, little bus system that's going around right now. And one of the you know, more upscale cities where people can kind of jump on and then jump off. So I don't know what's going on in Boston, but I know they have the Boston robots, you know, over there at MIT, whatever yes. I, I'm calling them Boston robots. I don't know what they're really called. Uh, they kind of look like little dogs, but you know, they dance. <laughs> so have you seen any, anything like that in Boston? And I know it's going to be ed tech week that's coming up here real soon. I mean, or startup not, week. That's yeah, it. yeah, startup week. I haven't seen a ton of uh, robots in that regard. You know, commercially. Uh, yeah, I would say the closest thing I've seen is what most people have seen in their grocery stores, where you have that cleaning robot. Uh, but as far as, as far as I know, I haven't really seen much of you know going to a restaurant and being able to have food brought right to you, for example. Right. Yeah, I was thinking that it would be way more prevalent in Boston just because of MIT and Harvard and all of the amazing schools in that area, you know, Boston University, we'll just, you know, we could go on and name them all off. But it seems like there's such a heavy influence of education and research. I felt like it would be more, more prominent. And EdTech, just so everybody knows, EdTech Week is happening in New York also at the same time as Boston's startup week. So there's all of these things all happening at the same yes. time. Yes. And I guess my personal opinion on it is I think a lot, while robots are cool, I, I don't love the idea of them replacing human jobs. Uh, it's and an I think, ethical dilemma again then, right? Yeah. Well, you know, okay. So we eliminate jobs. Well, we're all talking about how there's a recession coming. I think that's something, something that everyone's talking about. You're seeing right. these massive layoffs in tech. And so 
what jobs are you creating to ensure that the jobs you are, you know, if there is a job that no one wanted to do and they could not find people to do them, yes, robots are the, a great answer. Yeah. But if there are people happily doing those jobs, what what jobs are you creating for those people who are going to be kind of displaced? Displaced, yeah. Yeah. And so one of them is a lot here in Orlando because we have, um, you know, a lot of entertainment establishments and hospitality, Disney, Universal, all of that. Um, finding people to come in and work in the restaurants as well as in housekeeping has been one of the challenges, especially during COVID. So that would have been the example to say, well, if we automated some of these things, like having somebody else come in and a robot clean a room, then yes. But it's also taking away jobs from immigrants who come into the country and need something where they can get a job. That's where we saw also a huge spike, upward spike in Uber and Lyft drivers, because those that did not want to work in hotels and housekeeping were choosing to go and drive because they found yeah. it could fit their, their lifestyle. So there's going to be this place that fits a lifestyle. It also fits a need based on any type of uh, either low educational um, background, or if it's somebody with, you know, immigration issues and they can't necessarily get the, they can't be yeah. a lawyer now because they didn't get licensed in this country or doctor. Yes. Now they're driving Lyft, you know, it's like that. Yeah. It's, that I think is crazy is that there are people who come here from a different countries who are, you know, surgeons in their home country. And based on our medical standards, you, they're like, nope, you, you can't, no. you can't be a surgeon here. Yeah. Um, and so then they drive Lyft. I, I, I used to always talk to my Uber and Lyft drivers because I think most of them always had phenomenal stories. They do. Um, you know, some people hate talk, <laughs> they hate when they talk, when they, their Uber top driver talks to them, but I'm like, you know, if you're driving Uber, you see crazy things every day, yeah. you meet interesting people every day, and you probably have a pretty unique, you know, background and life story. And I'd love to learn more. And you know, I remember just some of this, the stories that they would tell and their life, how they kind of got to where they were was always so fascinating. Mm -hmm. I think you and I are cut from the same cloth. I know we had that discussion <laughs> when we were on the Harbor Cruise. I know. I'm, it. I'm going, you know, I think exactly the same as you. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? And, you know, you could be doing stories from, you know, the Lyft driver, but you can't use the name, right? So yes. you, know, you can't do it that way. But it's like taxi driver stories or whatever. Yes. Yeah. The Well, the Boston taxis were always interesting. And I think they've kind of, unfortunately... Really, they've gone out of business and I, you know, they're just so much more expensive. I remember there was one time where I just didn't want to wait for an Uber and there was a taxi there and they drove me like my five miles home. And I was like, this is like triple the cost it would have been if I had Really? Uber. Yeah. 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 Just because of that expense. Whereas, you know, Uber and Lyft, they're all contractors. So they absorb those costs themselves. Yeah. Yeah. For better yeah. or for worse, I guess. Yeah. 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 Very true. Well, we are coming to the end of the show. So what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? It can be advice that you want to give as a mentor to somebody or mentoring, mentoring advice yeah. that you've received either way. Um, I actually got this from, you know, what I always say is you should, this is something 
I think I live by. It's something my boss lives by as well, which is try to learn something new every day. Um, but I took, I had a customer call the other day and they took that a step further. And I just was like, this is, this is so true. And she said, if you're not improving, you're dying. And, and she said, whether it's your, your, in your job, whether it's in personal life, whether you're just a company, you know, always trying to learn something new and improve and be a little bit better than the day you were before, because, and that kind of goes back to that silent quitting we were talking about earlier as well. Um, The people who are doing that are the people who are going to be successful in all all kind of facets, facets of their facets of their life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's, it also applies to people that the concept of retiring, you know, because they go, well, I've, I'm done working. I don't want to do that. And I sat there and went, I, I can't believe that should be the mindset either, because I feel like, yeah, maybe you're not working the type of job and career path that you had before, but it doesn't mean you should stop learning. It doesn't mean you should um, disengage with yeah. the world because you know, what happens, your phone gets an update, you're going, I don't know, how do I, how do I do this? Yes, exactly. And the second you kind of stop trying to improve, trying to learn, you really do start, the world is, you know, always moving forward. And if you stop moving forward, you're going to be left behind. And that's how we get people who, you know, don't know how to use cell phones. Yeah. Or the the remote, because some people yes. still have TVs, right? I do not. But I will say that, you know, people, you know, I was over at somebody's house and they said, here, I want you to record this. I go, how do I even do this? You've got three remotes. What am I supposed to do with this? There's, you know, but yet they knew how to do that. <laughs> and they, yes. they didn't know. How I to actually, do. I have a good friend who doesn't own a TV. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, I just read books. And I was like, you're 28 years watch it on her phone she's like if I really want to watch a tv show I'll throw it on my laptop yeah see okay so they have access to it your friend does yes but but she said there's so much mindless tv I don't want to get stuck in that so I prefer not to have a tv and you know always have a book that I'm reading because I think it exercises my mind better oh yeah it does I think that there's this definite disconnect where people because of having to be so entertained through video and TikTok and those algorithms they know what they're doing they can make it very very addictive um I feel like people reading is the new skill I read that like last year at the end of last year and I went that is so true like reading and handwriting people they don't teach cursive handwriting in schools any longer so just being able to sign your name is not something that people learn yeah that's crazy because I feel like there is I think I was one of the actually I know for a so for standardized testing while I went through school I think it was maybe high school is when they actually said you don't have to write in cursive for these standardized tests anymore and but the reason being was they were kids who really struggled with their handwriting um and they would fail so it's not they were it's not because they were unintelligent it was just you know they had really crappy handwriting and mm-hmm. you know they shouldn't fail a standardized test because <laughs> somebody can't read their handwriting even though they can read and write just fine and so I know I had kids in my class who actually got special exceptions and had like these typewriter things that were not internet accessible but they could write just because 
they had like, I don't know if it was a disability or what, where they literally just couldn't hold the, they couldn't write legibly, no matter how hard they tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a hand dexterity, um, small. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely a, a skill. And if they didn't practice it enough when they were in school, then yeah, they might not know how to have those fine motor movements to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, huh? I hadn't even thought about that side of it. I did experience a lot of students that didn't figure that out. Oh, well, we would keep going on. But okay, how can our listeners find you? What's your website with Inspirity? What's your LinkedIn? We'll share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So Inspirity.com slash BPA slash my first last name. So Amelia Haru. And then my LinkedIn is just Amelia Haru, comma MBA. So I don't think there's many Amelia Hrues up there. So if you I just didn't type see that the MBA on it, I got your LinkedIn profile and I put it yeah. in the notes, but I don't see the MBA as part of that. Um, oh, good. You know. <laughs> it does say it on your, it does say it on the profile, but it's, I didn't oh, see it in oh the yeah, link. not, no, not in the link. I'm sorry about yeah. that. I was just, I just always search things. I don't know people's. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so LinkedIn slash Amelia Hru, you'll find me. Gotcha. All right. Well, that is so great. I'm looking forward to catching up again next time. Yes. Be on the show, but just to see like, what's your wedding date? I'm pretty sure it's coming up. Um, one year from, I guess last Friday. So, cause it's September 2nd next year. All right. Well, you're on wedding countdown now it's 364 days now. <laughs> yes. Don't remind me. I have lots to do and it's a little terrifying. <laughs> It's all going to be fine. Well, I want to tell you, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And I look forward to catching up. Yes, of course. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team, Ayana Sanders, and our video interns, Josue Gonzalez, Dina Burks, Lester Eccles, and Gio Vargas. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. If you would like to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show, record your inclusion tip, send it in an audio file to info at e, the number four, c.tech, and include your name, job role, and where you work. We will email you an intern pursuit green, green screens for your next video conference call. You can also visit employers, the number four change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while scaling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting the Internal Whisper podcast by subscribing to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channels.